today I want to talk about the Uncivil War. But before I talk about the Uncivil War, I have to talk about the Civil War. And I have to be perfectly clear about the Civil War and what caused it. The Civil War was caused by slavery. I don't care what uh, short-sighted historians may tell you. I don't care what uh, extremist politicians tell you. The Civil War was about slavery. I also have to mention that the Civil War was not as noble a venture as American textbooks would have you to believe. The ugly truth about the Civil War is this. It's that emancipation was an afterthought. The rights of black people who had been crippled and devastated by slavery were an afterthought. Now, here's another ugly truth about the Civil War. Because the rights of African-Americans, of Africans who were forcibly immigrated to America, because those rights were not prioritized, because those rights were not properly and effectively issued, the Civil War never ended. Now, I know you're sitting up here listening to this podcast in 2020 and you're saying, well, we don't have slaves. How can you possibly tell me that the Civil War never ended? I'll give you a few indicators, literal indicators. Look around and see how many Confederate monuments are still standing. I'm doing this podcast from what's virtually North Augusta, South Carolina. And as I would drive down from North or in North Augusta to Augusta, Georgia, I would be driving down what some people would call the Aiken Augusta Highway is also named the Jefferson Davis Highway. Jefferson Davis, of course, is the president of the Confederacy. To add, you could take a select bridge from North Augusta to Augusta, and one of those bridges would be, in fact, the Jefferson Davis Memorial Bridge. More than two years ago, I challenged the city council in North Augusta to take down a monument that was raised up for the lone white casualty in the Hamburg Massacre. The Hamburg Massacre in and of itself was one of the conflicts which bridged uh, kind of the post-Civil War Reconstruction uh, into the period that we know as Jim Crow. Now, as sure as I can say that the Civil War never ended because of the monuments, I can also say that not only did this country fail to resolve the rights of black folk, but the country failed to resolve the hate from white folks. And we've seen this hate manifest itself in numerous ways uh, during the course of American history. We've seen it when blacks have tried to gain voting and political power. We saw it uh, toward the end of Reconstruction. We saw it during the Civil Rights Movement. We've seen it throughout history. And what we're seeing in 2020 and what we've seen more recently is how that hate is being rewarded with some of the country's highest honors. It is not often that Mother Teresa and Rush Limbaugh are mentioned in the same news story, but it is 2020, so here we go. President sparking backlash by awarding the controversial radio host with the nation's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Limbaugh announced this week that he is fighting advanced lung cancer, but what happened last night wasn't about Limbaugh's health. 
It was about the president's decision. First Lady Melania Trump presented him the medal during the State of the Union address. And just for some perspective, Limbaugh now joins a list that includes Helen Keller, Neil Armstrong, Jackie Robinson, Mother Teresa, Elie Wiesel, Rosa Parks, Pope John Paul II, and Maya Angelou. Of course, Rush Limbaugh has his own uh, white supremacist views on slavery, and at the risk of giving you a ear infection or a cauliflower ear, I'm going to go ahead and play these for you. If any race of people should not have guilt about slavery, it's Caucasians. The white race has probably had fewer slaves and for a briefer period of time than any other in the history of the world. No other race has ever fought a war for the purpose of ending slavery, which we did. Nearly 600,000 people killed in the Civil War. It's preposterous that Caucasians are blamed for slavery when they've done more to end it than any other race. I'll tell you what's preposterous. What's preposterous is that anyone would listen to this drivel, much less black people. And there are black people who listen to this show. It's preposterous that a radio station or radio stations would carry this crap and to carry it for decades and to carry it for so long as to allow this man a platform and to allow this man an effective platform to spew hate and to spew various uh, divisions, whether it be racism, sexism, all of these things. To say that Caucasians uh, did uh, all they could to uh, end or eliminate sl uh, slavery through uh, the Civil War is not only factually inaccurate, but it is disingenuous uh, beyond repair if you understand the origins of the civil war if you understand the fact that you know the people whom we praise for the emancipation proclamation folks like abraham lincoln were folks who made a lot of the decisions that they made about the civil war uh last minute they weren't it weren't things that they were that they had a, a deep moral uh concern about they were political decisions and because they were political decisions uh that's why we really didn't see um, slavery uh, in terms of the ownership of slaves. We didn't see that end until 1865. The Emancipation Proclamation uh, was supposed to go into effect January 1st, 1863. So you go from 63 to 65. And of course, as black people gain political influence and power over the next decade, white folks responded to that with violence and would do so in the deck, or excuse me, during much of the century ahead up until and through the civil rights movement because hey the two central figures to the civil rights movement martin luther king and malcolm x were assassinated so no the civil war never ended but what i want to talk about on making a difference today is i want to talk about the uncivil war because the uncivil war is the war that we're waging against one another we're waging it and not only national media we're waging it on social media we're waging it in our personal and professional relationships. And the scariest part of all is that the way we challenge incivility is inconsistent. The truth is, when the message is clear and concise, malice isn't necessary. The truth is harsh enough. Um, to, be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country and to be um, 
relatively conscious, is to be in a state of rage. Almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth and not to make no dope. To make a difference. Yo, thank you so much for listening to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Making. I'm I'm listening to that intro, the James Baldwin intro, and you guys won't believe like how inflammatory people think that intro is. And it's just an issue of, you know, with when the legendary quote from James Baldwin when he's saying, like, you know, to be black and to be conscious is to be in a state of rage almost all the time. And for some people, like they don't want to be associated with that commentary, or they are scared of the commentary. They are scared of black retribution or how they perceive black retribution and i I really want to kind of go in on this for a little bit before we start the podcast and i just am obviously so appreciative of you guys listening to the podcast of your positive energy of your vibes um that you guys invest uh into this podcast which you i mean you can listen to almost anywhere now um shout out my man carlos johnson love you brother um he listens he uses an app uh i think the name of the app is it's castbox and so i was like yeah man um, are you on spotify or you know blah 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 and, you know, because we do upload this um, uh, through what's called an RSS feed, the podcast comes up, you know, on a lot of different uh, streaming services and stuff like that. And so I'm saying all that to say, first of all, to just encourage you guys, you know, and, and to say thank you so much to you guys um, in terms of just the various ways that you guys listen um, to the podcast. But back to the original point is I think about Rush Limbaugh and, you know, I... <laughs> I was kind of ashamed to say this in the intro, but I'm going to say it now because there are so many. I think one of the things that's really missing um, and one of the perspectives that I don't think people really understand is that black people are really we are really conservative people. Uh, If you think about, you know, just some of, you know, how we feel about um, marriage and traditional marriage and things like that, like uh, when people talk about, you know, like family values, these are things that exist, you know, in the black community. And so. One of the, the shows I'm sad to say that I listen to more than I would like to have listened to. We listen to a lot of Rush Limbaugh. Like that was something that my dad, you know, he and he still listens to Rush. And I get on him all the time because I say, Dad, you have to understand, like when you listen to this stuff, like you give these people energy, you give these people ratings. And when you allow like these people to like manifest and to like have these platforms and to have these successful platforms for so long, like the longer they're around, like the more power they gain. And this is why I'm so mindful and, and conscientious to say if somebody's saying something wrong or doing something wrong in the moment to hold them accountable, because if you don't, if you allow this stuff to be unchecked, man, it gets to a point where it's just it's out of control. And so it is with Rush Limbaugh. But it's just amazing to me that people can hear the things that Rush Limbaugh can say uh, and, and to do. And, you know, and these things like basically exist and are not only exist, but are, you know, are uh, by certain, you know, pieces of the population or portions of the population are celebrated. <clears throat> but then you hear a singular, a singular quote from James Baldwin that is in response largely to some of the attitudes and not only the attitudes, but the policies in the spirit of people like Rush Limbaugh. And you have people like James Baldwin who respond to those things and who are likewise vilified. People who are not the aggressor, but they are defending themselves. Um, when I hear people and I, and it's important to have these conversations during, you know, what we consider Black History Month. 
um, what we say is Black History Month, the Black Panthers. People see the Black Panthers as, you know, the, as a kill whitey type of group. No, the Black Panthers were saying, hey, you know, there's state initiated violence. You know, there's, <clears throat> you know, race initiated violence. And we're defending ourselves against this. And we're defending ourselves by any means necessary. But in this country, we don't want to give black folks the type of we don't want to give black people the right to defend ourselves. This country does not give us the right to do that. It, re, it rebukes and attacks that right in so many ways. And so, you know, a, a show like Making a Difference is really dedicated um, to telling history the right way, but also to giving us the freedom to defend ourselves. So with that, I just want to say again, thank you guys so much for listening to Making a Difference. Man, we have a great show for you. Um, what I want to talk about, uh, because what really inspired uh, this specific name for this specific podcast was not, there's no okay Rush Limbaugh. It was actually... Um, a dialogue that was had um, in the sports and entertainment realm. And I'm sure you guys have heard by now about the dialogue that Gail King and Lisa Leslie had. And, you know, Gail King was, uh, I won't even so much say pressing Lisa Leslie about Kobe Bryant and the sexual assault case, but there was a dialogue that went back and forth. And what should have happened was that we should have praised and exalted Lisa Leslie for the way that she handled that situation. But we did not, because that is not the nature of how we conduct ourselves uh, in this uh, social media climate, this political climate, this entertainment climate, what we do is, is that we give negativity so much energy. And I see so many social media posts that say, well, I can't believe this person. And we will isolate the negativity and uplift it and give that the attention instead of the people who rebuke that negativity and who in the moment respond to that negativity with something that's so positive and so powerful, which is what Lisa Leslie did. And I will play uh, some of that. So, of course, we get Gail King and the backlash to Gail King, which some of it was uh, justified with exception to some of the energy that um, I'm sure you've heard Snoop Dogg gave her. And so I'm going to play that uh, for you guys uh, as well during the course of that dialogue. And I really want to break that down. That's going to be the, the first portion of what we talk about, because what happens is, is that once we have that discussion and we invariably have to look at um, and I, you know, what I try to do on this show is that I try not to let celebrities dictate the narrative and I try to break the stuff down in a way that is constructive for the relationships between laymen, between black men and black women in everyday life, because there is a conflict there that's between black men and black women. And so I had a chance to have a conversation with a guy, man, who like I really and all, I mean, I really looked up to growing up, man. And I'm ex excited to to share some of his commentary on the show. My man, Cedric West. Uh, he's going to check in with us today and he just kind of wanted to just kind of give his thoughts on uh, the Gail King situation. I always tell you guys, hey, if you want to be on the show, um, you can send in audio. Uh, you can send in emails. You know, if you agree with what we're doing, if you disagree with what we're doing, you can always send that stuff into making M-A-K-I-N a different show at gmail.com, making a different show at gmail.com. Uh, obviously, so many of you guys follow us on the Facebook page, facebook.com uh, backslash making a different show. So many different ways that, um, you know, where we try to be interactive and we try to, uh, you know, give the people what they want. Word to Jalen uh, and Jacoby. And um, speaking of that, thank you guys so much for the feedback that you gave us um, in terms of the podcast. And when you guys listen, um, what I found is, is that a lot of well, actually, I got a pretty good mix of folks. You know, some of you guys listen to podcasts on weekdays. Some of you guys listen to podcasts on weekends. Some of you guys listen to podcasts like I do all the time. And so if you, you know, however you listen to podcasts, we're going to make sure that you have enough content from us and enough. As I always like to say, content with character. 
um, that you guys can kind of take in. Um, and, you know, it's something that is just really enriching, is really empowering, something that's really informative, which is what we try to do here. And, and, and of course, entertaining, of course, entertaining. Um, and those are things that we, you know, that we try to do with the making a difference experience, but don't want to delay you guys any longer. We've got a bunch of sponsors, got a lot of, uh, a lot of energy, man. A lot of people, like I said, just with different things and interviews that we're doing, man, just people like, I'm talking about like famous people, like iconic people show a mad love to the show, man. And so you hear some of those voices, you guys really responded so well to the knife wonder interview. Um, and of course now, you know, knife wonder is forever a part of the podcast because he did, you know, take time out to say, you know, this is knife wonder check in with, you know, making a difference forever grateful for knife for that. I wish I could get in touch with knife because that Duke North Carolina game was so crazy. Oh my God. And Duke, <laughs> oh, y'all, I hate Duke so much. Like I know so many good, good people who root for Duke, uh, who I could shout out, man. I could, and I'm just going to go, I'm going to go through the list, man. Show, show love for a school. Like I said, I hate Duke, but got love for knife. Got love for cats like Will Avery from Augusta. Every time I sit down with Will Avery, it's like a it's an informative, enlightening discussion. He's a good dude, but he's just got one problem. He he went to Duke. <laughs> and you know, I shout out people like, you know, like Gerald Porter, guys I went to school with, guy who is like my brother, man, like Demetrius Wilson. Um, you know, people who are like literally like family. They just they just love Duke for whatever reason. But anyway, man, great game the other night, man. Uh North Carolina. Uh, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. That's probably the best way I can describe it. Um, but man, what a game. And, but with all that said, man, uh, just grateful for everybody who contributes to making a difference in their own special way. Sponsors, uh, you know, um, supporters, just, oh man, I'm just so grateful. But I, I do want to jump into this conversation. I'm going to start with the dialogue between Gail and Lisa Leslie. It's been said that his legacy is complicated because of the sexual assault charge, which was dismissed in 2003, 2004. Is it complicated for you as a woman, as a WNBA player? It's not complicated for me at all. Even if there's a few times that we've been at a club at the same time, Kobe's not the kind of guy, never been like, you know, let's go get that girl or tell her or send her this. Mm -hmm. I have other NBA friends that are like that. Mm -hmm. Kobe's, he, he was never like that. I just never see, have ever seen him being the kind of person that would be do something to violate a woman or be aggressive in that way. I, that's just not the person that I know. But Lisa, you wouldn't see it though. As his friend, you wouldn't see it. And that's possible. Mm -hmm. I just, it's just, I just don't, I just don't believe that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying things didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I just don't believe that things didn't happen with force. Is it even a fair question to talk about it? considering he's no longer with us and that it was resolved? Or is it really part of his history? I think that the media should be more respectful um, at this time. It's like if you had questions about it, you've had many years to ask him that. I don't think it's something that we should keep hanging over his legacy. I mean, he went to it went to trial. Yeah, well, the case is, it was dismissed because the victim in the case refused to testify. So it was dismissed. And I think that that's how we should leave it. Two things here. One, I have to say, once again, Lisa Leslie in that moment with so much like grace and perspective and just, like I said, just an, an incredible um, perspective on, on the situation. I just feel like she, you know, she made her piece. She said what needed to be said um, with, uh, with clarity, you know, with with honesty, uh, she was candid as well. You know, people are listening to that interview. And, and this is the second part of what I was going to say. 
Gail King, you know, in, in asking those questions, you know, did she overstep her bounds? That back and forth dialogue, it didn't seem like, you know, that she really, you know, overstepped her bounds. Now, do I have issues with <laughs> this line of questioning? Like I said, two weeks after Kobe's death, certainly, I think, you know, and, and I mentioned this term before, uh, journalistic integrity. And so I do think that part of journalistic integrity is allowing people to um, to grieve and to mourn. Uh, Kobe and Gigi, there's going to be a memorial service February 24th, which I think is way too long to to wait to do that. We're talking about another two and a half, three weeks. But I do think that, you know, let's allow some closure with what's happening with with, you know, Kobe's death um, before, you know, we go back and revisit these things. Not to say that we can't go back and revisit them, but I would say even in the meantime, you can go back to Wikipedia and you can look at you can look and see very specifically some of what and, and, and it does expound upon some of the things that Lisa Leslie is talking about, you know, in terms of that case having largely been resolved. And, you know, in, in saying that we have to understand the climate that we're in. And so we're in a climate now where you have these prominent uh, cases of sexual assault that are being revisited because of the Me Too era because we are in the Me Too era. And I do think there, when we, when we talk about Me Too, I think there are positive and negative aspects of that. Certainly the positive of that is the fact that so many uh, individuals did not, you know, um, there wasn't closure or there wasn't, you know, a, a due diligence and investigation into these matters. And so Me Too from that perspective itself, I think Me Too has the potential to, moving forward, create, um, you know, safer workplaces, safer, you know, places, uh, you know, when, when you go out, you know, dating, different things like that. I do think there is a negative aspect of me too, where, because again, it's, it's inconsistent on how, you know, we, you know, address people who, um, you know, we deem as, as uh, people who are sexually deviant and, you know, there's angst in that, even as we talk about, you know, when, when we compare Bill Cosby versus, you know, Harvey Weinstein. And I'm not saying I'm, Look, y'all can go back to the podcast and listen to the Bill Cosby joint where I went in on Bill Cosby and I stand by that podcast. I do understand the concerns of people who say, you know, that me too doesn't hit everybody the same. And those are concerns that, you know, when we look at that, me too should have the same effect for everyone simply because when you, you know, when you prioritize, you know, or, or not so much, not prioritize, prioritize is the wrong word. When you, uh, allow some people to, you know, slide, on, you know, slide past persecution. Um, what happens is, is that you create an avenue, you know, for folks to, you know, to go to be deviant again or, you know, for there not to be a greater movement. Me, too, should be a greater movement that, you know, that protects women, you know, regardless of race, regardless of, you know, wealth and class structure. But Me, too, is not doing that. And it's worth mentioning that Me Too, even from the young lady, you know, who um, the term or I should say the phrase hashtag, however, however it originated, it has deviated from that. And it has become something where it becomes a witch hunt instead of it being something that is constructive. Now, with all of that in mind, you know, with like I said, with Gail King and Lisa Leslie um, and I'd like I said, I do understand the backlash that Gail King got because some people said it was too soon. Well, we can't have. <laughs> You know, our situations or not so much situations, but responses uh, such as the response that we got from Snoop Dogg, 
uh, in the aftermath of that interview. Gail King, out of pocket for that shit. Way out of pocket. What do you gain from that? I swear to God, we the worst. We the fucking worst. We expect more from you, Gail. Don't you hang out with Oprah? Why y'all attacking us? We your people. You ain't coming after fucking Harvey Weinstein asking them dumbass questions. I get sick of y'all. I want to call you one. Is it okay if I call her one? Funky dog head bitch. How dare you try to tarnish my motherfucking homeboy's reputation, punk motherfucker. Respect the family and back off, bitch, before we come get you. The response to that is too easy because it's like I, you can literally follow Snoop up with the same energy that he had, you know, in the beginning part of that uh, that commentary, which is like, wh what do you have to gain from doing from doing that? It was clearly premeditated. I mean, he sent it. He's like, you know, should, should I can I call her? Can I should I do that? Like, come on, fam. What happened in that moment is that it took the conversation and it took the, the the heat off of Gail King and it put it firmly on Snoop. And so what happens is, is that and, and I hate when these things happen is, is that you have an incident of celebrity where black men are going at black women. And a, and a piece of this that was missing was that Susan Rice. I don't know if you guys know who Susan Rice is, but Susan Rice uh, actually came after Snoop. Susan Rice is the former national security advisor. So it's. It's like levels to this thing, man. And it just shows you like just the, the hierarchies. And I, and I do want to talk about it very briefly because, you know, when I a lot of these things happen in a realm that, you know, black folk may identify with because the players are black or the people involved are black. But in terms of like our actual understanding of when you talk about, you know, national security, advisors, you're talking about government. You know, when you talk about Oprah and Gail and, you know, them being involved in media like these are fields that, you know, we may have opinions on, but largely are not involved in. And when we are involved, we these things are not addressed really from the black perspective. You know, when I think about Oprah and Gail and, you know, some of these comments were made on social media like Oprah and Gail, you know, in, in many ways are, you know, viewed as figures of black women empowerment. But when you look at the show, their shows, and when you look at the history of their shows, these shows are not catered toward black people. And that is something that's important because, and, and this is something that I'm often disappointed with when it comes to black celebrity is that black celebrity does not speak specifically to black issues. And that is important in a world where, you know, we talk about, we you know, we care about representation and we, and, you know, we talk about, we, you know, care about these things where our, our voices are being heard. But a lot of times that's not what's happening. You're just getting, a face that looks like you, but you're not getting a voice that speaks to the betterment of your situation or to the betterment of, you know, representing you. And so that's the, really the disappointing piece with Oprah and Gail. And some of that is being expressed through the context of Kobe Bryant. But yet and still, there are still other places where they're sorely lacking when we talk about politics, when we talk about, you know, voting and, and different things like that. So that is certainly uh, an important piece to that puzzle. But ultimately, this thing just comes down to civility. You know, I think when, when we talk about civility, if there was civility in, you know, the interview with Gail King and Lisa Leslie, that Kobe piece is not in there so soon. If we're talking about civility, Snoop is not going after Gail King with such 
ferocity. And some people have mentioned that, you know, Snoop don't have that energy for white women, which I mean, depends on what kind of Snoop you see. If you see Snoop, you know, in, in some of these uh, uh, racy and raunchy and, you know, not made for TV <laughs> videos, then, you know, maybe, but I, I understand the principle of what you're saying. Snoop don't treat Martha Stewart like that. And I would absolutely agree. It's just it's just a lot to take in. But what I want to do is, is that I really want to take this conversation to a place where it becomes more civil. And I'm going to do that after the break. I'm going to have, like I said, a good friend of mine come in and he just really gave a great commentary in response to something that he had read, um, actually from ESPN. And I also want to uh, share a, a similar uh, commentary about just some of the feelings that are involved with this Kobe Bryant situation. And I think these feelings are not unfamiliar to black people. But there again, I think just that's what happened with the, the Gail King interview is that Gail King is trying to introduce Kobe or to an audience that is not familiar with why people are grieving with his, about his loss, you know, um, with such, you know, grief and, and pain and mourning. But I want to talk about all those things uh, when we come back. And I do want to continue in the commentary about an uncivil war. There's so much that needs to be said. So stick with us. You're listening to Making a Difference. It's the West Coast diva. Tell them, follow the leader. It's yo, yo. You're listening to Making the Difference with Ken Making. Adversity, challenges, and mediocrity are a part of any business or organization. What separates a good business or organization from a great one is how staff and members work together to reach common goals and to keep their eyes on the prize. I'm Janice Allen Jackson with Janice Allen Jackson Associates, LLC, and there is a better way for you to reach your goals. Our mission is to enhance the effectiveness of organizations by equipping leaders to better serve their customers, employees, and the larger community. While many consultants provide the same solutions to each client, we tailor our approach to you. We provide leadership-based speaking services, strategic planning, problem solving, and other organizational development services to government, business, religious, and nonprofit organizations. In business, it's important to have a leg up on the competition. With any organization, being on one accord and identifying why you aren't achieving what you want is crucial. We specialize in excellence, so we work hard to understand your needs and work with your organization to achieve and meet those needs. Call or text me today at 704-707-5114, or you can email us at JaniceAllenJackson at gmail.com. We're here to help your organization find a better way. Follow Janice Allen Jackson and Associates on Twitter at this handle, J-A-J and Associate LLC. That's spelled J-A-J-A-N-D-A-S-S-O-C-L-L-C. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your all-state insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706-434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. The name of this episode is Uncivil War. I want to invite you guys, if you're not following us on SoundCloud, uh, download the SoundCloud app uh, and go to, you can follow Macon, M-A-K-I-N, A Difference. You can also 
uh, follow us from your browser, uh, soundcloud.com backslash making a difference, soundcloud.com backslash making a difference. We are on Facebook, facebook.com backslash making a difference show. Uh, you can also, <clears throat> excuse me, follow, uh, follow me on Twitter at difference making M A K I N. I also want to encourage you guys to support black media, support black media. Don't take what we're doing here for granted. You can financially support us month to month, uh, via uh, Patreon. You go to Patreon, P A T R E O N.com and backslash making a different show. And you can look, you can uh, give us a dollar a month. You can give us $10 a month. You can give us a hundred dollars a month, whatever is on your heart. Um, you can do that again at patreon.com backslash making a different show. You can also do a one-time donation via cash app at making a different show. Uh, that is again, the uh, handle on cash app is dollar sign making M A K I N a different show. And with that, we want to continue with this episode again on civil war. And what I want to do is I want to expound on the conversation that um, we're having specifically as it relates to uh, Gail King and the fallout uh, backlash from the interview that Gail King did with Lisa Leslie about Kobe Bryant. What I want to do is, is I want to uh, introduce a young man who, like I said, I've known for a very long time, think the world of him, had a really good commentary uh, on one of the uh, responses to the Gail King Snoop Dogg kind of back and forth. And uh, and I can just tell you now. So basically what happened is, is that uh, Cedric, he read this piece that I uh, was on ESPN's The Undefeated. And that, like I said, of course, is something that's ESPN Undefeated is near and dear to my heart. I've had the good, had the good fortune to write four commentaries for ESPN's The Undefeated last year. If you're not familiar with ESPN's The Undefeated, it's basically a, it's a section of ESPN that focuses on race, culture from the African-American, from the black perspective. And so there was a commentary on there uh, by actually a Morehouse professor. His name is a. Uh, uh, David Dennis. I want to say he's Dr. David Dennis. At any rate, it's a commentary. I would encourage you guys to, you know, read it for yourself. But Cedric uh, had a response to it. And I want to share that with you guys. And I'm also going to weigh in on it as well. Uh, after I do that, what I want to do is I want to just really level out this discussion. There's a young lady, Erica Cobb, who uh, had the chance to really sit down and just, I think, just gave a great insight to um, just kind of the discussion and and really give just some great perspective on what people are feeling and, you know, and, and, and why, you know, there's so much raw and visceral emotion uh, with this conversation. And I'm going to weigh in on that as well. So just really want you guys to check in uh, at any point. You know, if you're listening to this and you got feelings, you can comment on SoundCloud directly and say how you feel about the podcast or what's being said or again you can hit us up at making m-a-k-i-n a different show at gmail.com making a different show at gmail.com but man can't wait for you guys to hear what cedric had to say i uh reached out to kenton about this article that i saw and just wanted to sort of get his take on what he felt about the article uh, the name of the article is gail keen doesn't deserve your anger and it's written by a person by the name of david dennis jr and i initially had reacted to it in one of my facebook groups I think it was on Thursday night and then I went back on Friday morning and I reread the article and I kind of shared some of my thoughts with Kenton in terms of what I thought about the article again to try and get his perspective on it given that he's really on top of things as it relates to the black community and so after speaking with him for a little bit he asked me to sort of <clears throat> record my initial reaction to the app to the uh, article so that's kind of what I'm going to do right here, sort of give a quick take on just my thoughts as it related to what the article said and some of the points made in the article. So, like I said, I went back and I reread the article 
and the first thing that struck me is that the article makes a ton of gross generalizations and non-rationalized points supposedly in the name of addressing rape culture as it relates to black women but that isn't necessarily what's happening here i think that's the author's slant to write an article essentially saying that he th- believes kobe bryant raped the woman in colorado so after reading i had a few questions or statements that i really thought to be poignant on the topic first when does being accused of rape make one a rapist you know this isn't and when i say this this isn't the kobe bryant situation isn't bill cosby r kelly harvey weinstein or jeffrey epstein where their continuous actions can lead a person rationally to presuppose that they actually raped someone and in those people's case rape multiple people you know in this Corey Bryant situation that just isn't there there's people trying to extrapolate out of one situation a much greater thing second the author speaks about in there that Kobe's actions especially as related to women in sports was him trying to atone for a right so my question is what did Kobe have to make right Again, this is the author presupposing that Kobe actually raped the woman in Colorado. It implies that Kobe Bryant's efforts to support and promote women's sports came from a nefarious place rather than what seemed like a labor of love for his daughters. Otherwise, if we take the author's viewpoint at face value, Kobe was just simply pimping his daughters to cleanse himself. That's the only rational conclusion you can get from what the author said. Third, in the, in, the, in the piece, the author says, and I'm quoting him right here, he says, Of all the days of endless coverage of Bryant since his death, why is it that two black women are the ones having to reckon with his past? Well, I don't, really, I don't agree with that. Gail King, who was, who was doing an interview with Lisa Leslie, <clears throat> chose to go down that line of questioning. I was seeing lots of people talk about why did she go there? I mean, that could be a rational question, but she chose to go there. She chose to dig. She chose to continue to not take Lisa Leslie's answer when she first gave it. She chose to try to go further into it and try to elicit a certain response from Lisa Leslie. Uh, She made Lisa, Lisa Leslie focus on Kobe's past repeatedly within that part of the interview. So when people focus on Snoop and what he said, it wasn't Snoop that focused that that brought this type of attention it was actually gail king who chose to go down that line of questioning um fourth i think the article paints black women as weak um it paints black women as needing the patriarchal black man to protect them while we as men we do have a duty you know to to stand up for our women and to cherish our women for myself personally i mean i'm raising a daughter right now i have a daughter and I'm raising her to know that she can stand on her own without a man beside her to bolster her credibility or to champion her sensibilities. And the fifth point I came to was that Gail King deserves to be criticized. It is rightful that people criticize her. Now, some of the other things where people are death threats or where people are calling her a name, that's completely beyond the pale. But we also look at Gail King's action and not just focus on the reaction to the interview. Gail King was condescending to Lisa Leslie. She treated her like she was some poor dope who was incapable incapable of separating her friendship with Kobe Bryant from being able to see one's wrongful conduct. And, uh, and again, Gail King came off as seeking a certain response and being unwilling to accept Lisa Leslie's repeated comments. 
So the final thing I came to as related to the article was that this this article actually belittles the intelligence or the audience that he was speaking to, that Mr. Dennis was speaking to, uh, which is largely a black audience. By writing a piece to speak his opinion on the speak his opinion on the validity of the rape case accusation against Kobe Bryant, and then he tried to wrap it in some black women's empowerment commentary, which is completely condescending because what it takes what it takes there it says that people are not able to read between the lines, and so if I throw in this whole thing about rape culture, I throw in this whole thing about how we have to protect women, people won't see that I'm just simply writing an article to voice my opinion that the author believes that Kobe Bryant committed rape. I mean, I think that there's a place to have a serious comp, to have a serious discussion about <clears throat> rape as it relates to rape as it is in the black community. But I think if you're going to write an article, you don't just simply try to have your opinion and throw in something else to try to bring people in, to try to bring people in to get, to read it and really make it more of an aside as opposed to a really a serious discussion on the matter. Once again, I just want to say, man, I really appreciate, you know, Seth's insight on the matter. Like I said, having read the commentary for myself and, you know, in conjunction with some of the things that, you know, said, uh, look, said, said, <laughs> or Cedric said, one of the challenges of uh, Mr. Dennis's commentary is that black men should have initiated the conversation. And the first concern that I have is that at where and why are we initiating or rehashing the sexual assault conversation. To me, that was a conversation that was rehashed at the imagination of white folks. Again, when you go back and you listen to the entirety of that CBS interview, you know, between Gail and Lisa Leslie, it is something to me that is more introductory. It was not even um, innovative and, and well, I'll, I'll just use the word innovative for right now in terms of how people are grieving with Kobe. It just gave, really gave that discussion a perspective from Lisa Leslie. So to me, it's a conversation that is not really for black people. So in turn, saying this is a burden of responsibility that falls on black women is to me, it doesn't fall specifically on black women as it, it was really an assignment that fell on a black woman, that black woman being Gail King. Now, as I say that, I understand that, you know, in, in so many different situations, I'm just talking about, like I say, in everyday black life, black women do have to deal with the burden of responsibility of sexual assault. And some of that sexual assault happens within their own families. And in that regard, absolutely. Black men should be at the forefront of protecting the women, the children. And we also have to say, because this is a lot of this is not said, we don't say, you know, black boys are the victims of sexual assault when it comes to. Uh, sexual assault and, and um, when it comes to, like I said, protecting our children in the everyday realm, then it goes without saying that black men should lead, should be at the forefront of that fight, should lead that fight. But when you take an interview that is not for black people and then have a response and a backlash that is largely the response of black people saying, well, why why are we going down this road so soon? We haven't, we're not done with the grieving process yet. To me, that is not saying, well, why do black women have to carry this burden? To me, it is Gail King having a conversation with Lisa Leslie and Lisa Leslie handling it amazingly well. 
And even in terms of Gail and by extension, Oprah, this is a part of their brand. And it's sad to say that, you know, when you look at, you know, some of the things that have come out with, with Russell, uh, Russell Simmons, this is the second time that the Oprah Gale team have had to take a step back or have reassessed something they've done because of the backlash that they've gotten, which to me denotes a, cert, a, a sort of journalistic irresponsibility or if not irresponsibility, poor timing. It, to me, it's not even like I said, I don't even think it's so much the this this the way the questions were asked it's just the timing and the tact that uh, black folks have a problem with and again you can respond to that in a way that is civil which most people did before snoop went the way that he went and of course now that has become the defi- that has become the defining conversation with that said i do want to uh, introduce um, this uh, piece from Erica Cobb, because, man, she did an incredible job of assessing it all. And I do want to say, because I'm on Twitter a lot and I'm, like I said, in a lot of different, you know, Twitter, uh, uh, you know, Twitter environments and, you know, Twitter circles. And so this conversation was, you know, um, interpreted a lot of different ways by a lot of different people. But I really do think that this young lady did a good job of addressing uh, this particular uh, situation and specifically the pain that people are feeling. So check this out. I'm not going to say who's to blame, but I do think that we're trying to make a very uncomfortable conversation complicated. And I think we're doing that because clearly there is a lot of emotion and a lot of hurt involved. In order to really have a conversation about why this has been such a big story, if we have to talk about what was happening in 2003 when Kobe was first accused of rape. There were two different Americas. We had white households whose parents uh, were telling their white daughters to beware of Kobe's in the wake of O.J. Simpson. We had black households who were telling their kids about the story of Emmett Till, the 14-year-old black boy who was killed in Mississippi for allegedly whistling at a white woman in 1955, and we later learned that that wasn't the truth. So when we have these two very different conversations happening, we see this Kobe Bryant situation very differently. We have some people who see a black man who got away with raping a white woman. Some of us see a black man who was accused of raping a white woman and did something that was historically daunting. not only got past these allegations and moved on with his life, but he went on to be great and inspire a lot of people. Some people will see his apology as an omission of guilt. Some of us see his apology as fighting for his life. And we think about Emmett Till and how many times he apologized for something he didn't do in order to fight for his life. So when we're having these conversations in mainstream media, especially as a black woman in media, We have to be so careful because this narrative has already been out there in a way that mainstream media was never about because there was zero representation in 2003 to even have a thought of what the Kobe side could have been. And now we're here and we're having these conversations and we can't have these conversations with even a hint of not having a historical context in them because it is just that painful. And that's the reason why no one wants to hear from any black woman, black man, and mainstream media that isn't speaking love and peace and honor on Kobe Bryant's name less than two weeks after his death. And that's the reason why there's so much backlash. And until we have that conversation, we're not having a conversation at all because we have to decide if we want to have a comfortable conversation or a complex conversation. And the story is just uncomfortable. It is not complex. 
to me, Erica Cobb was on point. She just said one thing that I um, don't necessarily agree with. And she said there were two Americas and no, there are two Americas. And it's hard for me to think that there will ever be anything different than two Americas simply. Well, I'll just say it for this reason, because it is what we consider Black History Month. And this country has never adequately told the tale of black history and has never adequately told a tale of the African in America, which first of all is to say that black people built this country. And, and not only that, but black people's labor sustains this country. When you think about, um, just like I say, your, your, your labor force. And I mean, and I mean that from the literal term of labor, your labor jobs and who does those jobs statistically are done um, predominantly by black people. And when you just, like I say, you just go through the history of this country. And what has happened is, is that on the one hand, black folks are doing all are doing a significant portion of the work, if not all of the work. And then in another, you have the idea that black people are lazy, that black people are shiftless. And so what you have is, is that at every point of black people clawing and fighting for, you know, opportunity and you know and receiving accolades there is another undercurrent and underbelly that says no these people don't deserve this and that the solution to black achievement and black empowerment is the continual effort to degrade and dehumanize black people and so much of the fight in this country is for black people to be treated like human beings it's not for black people to be treated like white people. And that's why I'm always mindful of people. You know, it's like, well, we, you know, we want what they have. And it's like, no, I want to be treated as a human being. If I, if you, if I'm going to have the same rights and the respect, you know, of the, of, you know, greater society. And if I have that in a neighborhood that's separate, like, I'm okay with that. You know, and I know a lot of people aren't like that. People say, well, you know, you know, I want my kids to grow up like this. I want, you know, I want multicultural coalitions and things like that. And that is a great ideal. But 400 years in this country has shown us that there is a mechanism and there is a systemic um, effect in this country that always seeks to degradate and disrespect black people. And when you say, well, I want my kids to be a part of that, like you have to understand, like the destiny that you're giving to your kids Here's what I want for myself and for my son under with the understanding that, first of all, I'm a taxpayer. But beyond that, I'm conscientious of the contributions of African-Americans in this country, of black people in this country. And so what I want is to be treated with the respect of a taxpayer. And that is to say that, you know, I understand politically what me being a taxpayer means. When I go to meetings, I want my voice to be heard. When I put my son into a public school that public school should make it a priority to teach the truth and the entire truth of the history of this country which is not to disregard and to disrespect black history or to treat black history as something that should only be um myopically you know addressed in february but it is something that should be a curriculum that was the intent of of negro history week of black history month in the first place and so these are things that you know and this is another commentary that I will address uh, later this week. Uh, in a, I'm very excited to share that podcast with you guys. But the, the way that we do Black History Month is so goofy and it's so ineffective because we'll take black history. And 
I understand the idea of making black history relative to you an individual or, you know, maybe somebody who's the, you know, first black um, teacher at your local school. But understand that, like, black history, the history of black people in America is so has so much more depth. It's so much richer than, you know, hey, they got these cool shirts in Target or in Walmart. That's black history. No, 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 no. That's not even scraping the surface of it. That is, is, is so petty and it's so uh, elementary. But those are things when we talk about, you know, uh, there were two Americas. No, there are two Americas. And there, there are two Americas because we have not dealt with the history of this country and we have not dealt with the hate of this country. And those are things that we are absolutely going to have to deal with before we see, you know, what people consider to be progress is that people are going to have to be accountable. And here's the thing about America. What the, the truth of America is this, is that America is not a country of rights. America is a country of retribution. America is a country of punishment. And when it comes to punishing black people, it over punishes black people. And so the energy that black people should have in turn is you have to understand this is a country of retribution. I know that that's hard for us as a people because we're such a forgiving people. We have been almost conditioned to say, hey, you know, turn the other cheek. I forgive you for these, uh, you know, atrocities, uh, for the monstrous things that have been done to us. But at some point we have to say, no, you have to be accountable for these things. And that accountability, it's not feasible that accountability. It's like I say, it's not so much even our DNA that, that that accountability should be violence and bloodshed. And for, but if me, and for me, it doesn't have to be. But what it does have to be is you got to you got to pull out your checkbook and you got to you got to try to make that thing right. And not only do you make it right with your checkbook, that's a start because the dollar is what is is what people care about. That's that's the one nation under God. And it's, a, you know, it's a nation under money. But you also have to be accountable for the laws and the policies that you pass and make sure that those things are also ensuring the rights and the livelihoods of black people. If you aren't doing that, then that's not progress. Sorry, not sorry. I know things are getting a little heavy around here. So, you know, it's probably time to play some music <laughs> and that's all good, man. I got a joint aptly named civil war by a good dude named Russ. And I think it's just a good place to, you know, um, have put this song in because this song is so much about, it's about personal relationships. And I think that's an important discussion to have when we talk about, you know, the uncivil war, because I hate what's happening in comment sections. I hate what's happening between black men and black women, because we are taking these general ideas and we're impressing them on people you know, in situations where personal relationships are so important. I can tell you generally, I love black people. I love my people. I love black women. I love my brothers. I understand that functionally, it is important that black women, black, black men and black women come together in a society that doesn't care about either one of us. And so even if you're in a situation where like, again, black men and black women, you know, black man, black woman come together and have a child. And it may be to say, hey, you guys don't functionally work together, you know, where you don't get married or you were married and you get a divorce, but you still have to work together for the good of that child. You all have a family, even if it's not a physical family where you guys are living in the same house. But by virtue of that child, y'all are together. So there has to be a, a, a maturity and an understanding and a willingness to work together. And to me, that comes out of just. A mutual respect and understanding. And I think mutual respect and understanding is what we need to have moving forward in these conversations. You know, when we when we have these things to happen, to understand the feelings of black men, to understand the feelings of black women 
And to be mindful of those things in conversations, we got to get away from, you know, the, you know, just the colloquial, you know, man, these hoes over here, these B words like that. We got to take that out of we got to take that destructive part of our culture and do away with it, man, because it's, it's not helping us, man, to deal with the real issues that we have in our communities, man. When we talk about sexual assault and, you know, when you have predatory people who are in positions of power, we have to ch- not just challenge those people, man. Look, we got to put boots to behind, man, like real rap. You know what I mean? So to me, it doesn't get any realer than that, man. But uh, Russ, Civil War, and we'll be back after these messages, man. You're listening to Making a Difference. I don't want to text you anymore I just want to stop this civil war Baby, please, please Call my phone I don't want to text you anymore I just want to stop this civil war Baby, please, please yeah. He don't want to call it quits She don't want to call it quits Even though they both been screaming Both got reasons, yeah, yeah. Never turn your back on love been with you from the jump Even though they both been screaming Both got reasons, yeah Every night it's the same old thing Fucking fight is the same old thing Wake up, make up, repeat Both of them say put the blame on me He be at the so prideful style She be at the so prideful style Wake up, make up, repeat Both of them say put the blame on me Call my phone I don't wanna text you anymore I just wanna stop this civil war Baby, please, please Call my phone I don't wanna text you anymore I just wanna stop this civil war Baby, please, please Yeah They been spawn seeing which one's gonna drop first Doesn't matter cause they both got hurt Clockwork, how they all over each other's sixes No amount of blunts or Henny is gonna fix this Get to the core of it, talk, start exploring it They so out of tune with each other, they ignoring it Acting like the problems ain't there Stick around out of fear Starting over with someone and wasting another year Call my phone I don't wanna text you anymore I just wanna stop this civil war Baby, please, please. Call my phone I don't want to text you anymore I just want to stop this civil war Baby, please, please And they try They stuck through it They cut through it That ain't worth they fuck through it That ain't worth they fuck through it That ain't worth they fuck My name is Lauren Macon and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. This is Donald Doe and Michael Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds, or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, 
but a broker works for you. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. I want to close out the podcast with a very simple question and answer. Well, it's not simple. <laughs> it is a worthy question. That's how how do we deal with the, the incivility? You know, Rush Limbaugh, uh, as was stated at the beginning of the podcast, you know, apparently was diagnosed or has advanced lung cancer. And so, you know, I've seen things on social media where people have been like, basically like, yay. And again, you know, for those of us who are, you know, who have a strong sense of spirituality, who, you know, are religious, you know, who do go to church, that is something that's hard for us to reconcile in terms of understanding, you know, who Rush is, the things that he said, the things that he stands for versus the fact that, you know, he has, you know, this ailment. And so it's easy. And and so the question is, like, how, how do we deal with that? And I'll tell you how I'm dealing with that, because I struggle with it. I struggle, well, struggle, not struggled, struggle. Because I do, you know, lack that empathy, you know, because of the things that Rush has said. But I, I do want to talk about a, a path forward and a solution to that is, is that, you know, it's not so much about, you know, praying that this man dies or rooting for this man to die. I think, again, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, the truth in and of itself is harsh enough. And so when you talk about Rush Limbaugh and you look at the things that he said and after you look, look and listen to those things, there's nothing else you can say other than like this man is a horrible person who certainly was not worthy of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, except to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom from a person who doesn't deserve and doesn't fit the doesn't fit the standard uh, to be president. And so those two folks are matched or a match made in hell, <laughs> quite honestly. And so and and yet and still, as much as like I said, as much disdain as I have for that, as much of a shameful situation it is, I think it really just underscores and shows people that this is the America that's been allowed to come to the forefront. That is um, an America that has always been there, but it's an it's an America that is emboldened and it is emboldened because. We had a president who for the previous, you know, in the previous administration, you know, was the first black president, was a president who and and when we got that president, folks felt like, well, you know, you know, black people are getting, you know, are getting a sweet deal because they have a black president. And again, it's just so many of these things that, you know, because we are not committed in this country to uh, telling the truth and to giving uh, information and I, and I, and I'll indefinitely in this country, this is a country that prioritizes entertainment over sound information. And so, and, and I think there's a, a marriage of the terms, I think it's called infotainment and that is our priority. And it it is to our detriment in this country because so many people don't know what's going on. And I mean, not just, I mean, you may have, you know, political differences, but I just mean the, to the point of, where we cannot even adequately say, okay, this is the plight of black people. This is what has happened to black people, you know, from the 1600s to right now what's going on. And for people to not be able to adequately address that, I mean, is embarrassing, disappointing, shameful, you know, harmful, all, all of the above. 
And, you know, I, I have to go back to just like I said, just this personal and it was personal situation that I'm dealing with, you know, here in North Augusta with uh, the Mary Weather Monument and just the fallout of that. And what I'm saying is, is that I'm saying people who are, first of all, not aware of history and not only are they not aware of history. Well, let me let me say at first they were not aware of history. That was the initial excuse. They're aware of the history now. So, again, they've dealt with the history component. Now they're having to deal with deal with the hate the component of hate and what it means to take a stand against that hate. And there are so many people who are not willing to take that stand against the hate. But my thing is this and my, like I said, my response in terms of this podcast is just in terms of my life is this is that the hate's going to be there. The hate's going to manifest itself covertly, or it's going to manifest itself overtly. And that's what we've seen in this country is that there've always been again, just a, a movement in this country to discourage, you know, uh, black critical thinking to discourage black empowerment to discourage, to discourage all of these different things. So what's your response to that? And my response to that has always, well, not always, but it, it has definitely been, like I said, more recently to address these issues, address these issues head on in the spirit of accountability in the spirit of, okay, if you are, an elected city official, if you are a legislator, if you are a person in power, then what are you going to do? What are we going to do about this situation and to attack it from there? And then if people in a position say, well, I can't handle this. OK, well, let's see what the law says and we'll and we'll address it from there or and we will attack it from there, because what can't happen is, is that I can't be in a situation where I am literally paying into a system that does not invest itself back into me. And that is so much of the black experience in this country is that we pay into education. We pay into law enforcement, but we do not get um, the return on investment. In fact, we get the, you know, we get this so much of this negative energy and so much of this um, just these problematic uh, results uh, from these systems and our, and the, and the response from us has to be, it has to be unity. It has to be strength in numbers. If the two of the two of the most important things you can do in terms of uh, getting involved in local politics is going to your city council meeting or your uh, maybe a, a commission, but going to your city, your basically your city meetings that deal with legislating policy and that deal with education, your school board. You have to go to those meetings. And if we had a if we had a spirit in which we went to these meetings in droves, Two things will be dealt with. The first thing that will be dealt with and the most pressing that, that will be dealt with is police brutality, because that's an issue that we absolutely have to deal with. When we talk about incivility, I mean, that for in this country, as it relates to black people, that's the beginning and the, uh, almost the end of it is how we allow law enforcement to treat black people with impunity. But also uh, we would absolutely deal with how we address education. And education, it would be something that is something that would protect the student intellectually that would allow for critical thinking because it would tell the student the entire truth. It would not be based on American propaganda, but it would also protect the teacher. And that, I mean, because what we have now in, in public education is a system where the student and the teacher are at risk. And we simply cannot allow this to be. 
But man, I, I tell you what, I have thoroughly enjoyed this episode of Making a Difference. I'm so glad to be able to share these ideas with you. We got so many great things uh, coming to the forefront, uh, coming up. I promise you guys two podcasts a week. That's the energy I'm trying to give you guys. We, I, where, whether you listen to the podcast on weekdays, weekends, whenever you listen, I'm going to make sure I give you guys just the quality content, man. And just uh, like I said, I always say content and character, man, um, that is necessary that we really don't get in media. With that, I'm actually going to close out this podcast because you may be riding the car. Your commute may be long and I have, you know, taken care of you guys for an hour, but I'm going to take care of you for about look a little bit longer because I want to do a kind of a back to back um, piece here to close out. I want to play a couple songs by War. If you're not familiar with War, uh, Edwin Starr. And just like I said, really just an iconic group that really uh, weighed in a social commentary. So I want to play Slipping Into Darkness and then I'm going to follow that up with The World is a Ghetto, man. So just two dope classic uh records man to uh, close out the podcast i appreciate you guys so much man again follow making a difference support making a difference wherever you can i am or whenever and wherever you can i am forever forever grateful for you guys who have like i said financially uh poured and invested into making a difference and i just want to assure you guys that that will not return to you um void it is something that you know, we'll continue to manifest and we'll continue to grow as we provide uh, not only conversations and perspectives, but just opportunities for you to hear from the people in your community. Um, and we take great pride in that. With that said, man, love you guys so much. Peace and God bless.
but the revolution will not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place, will not be televised.